Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 155 on Angels Landing Cult. Ooh. This I don't is, know about this one. It's a mess. It is a hot mess express. The cult stuff usually is. <laughs> we have it's been a minute since we've done a cult, and this one is a pretty wild ride with a lot of information that was really hard to find. So I did the best I could, folks. I'm excited to hear about it. There's a disclaimer there. There is hardly any details of early life. There are loosey-goosey dates. Um, I got the gist of what was going on. Um, So it'll be fine. We'll be fine. But just know <laughs> that there's not a lot of like super solid information here. Gotcha. So before we get into it, the only matter of business that we have is we would like some episode suggestions. Please. What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear about serial killers? Do you want to hear about more cults? Do you want to hear about more paranormal stuff? We are nearing the tail end of what we've got scheduled in the books. This is the worst part for us. We still have like a good list of options if we have to pull from our own stuff. But if you guys have suggestions, that's always more fun for us. Correct. We love whenever other people do the work for us and make our schedule. Yep. So I think we're I think we're good through the end of September, I want to say, or close to it. Um. But that'll be here before we know it. It always does come very quickly. And so we're getting, we're getting near spooky time. I feel like, you know, there's maybe some spooky things out there. Halloween stuff that maybe we haven't done before. We've touched on a lot of Halloween stuff in the past. Uh, a lot of murder things that took place on Halloween. Uh, the candy situation. So just send us what you got. Anything and everything. There's no wrong answer here. That's right. And if we don't do it, send it to us. Remind again. us. Yeah, re- that's what I was going to say. Both of us get on our messaging and things like that. And we don't always write down stuff we needed to write down. So right. if we didn't do something you suggested, it's not because we thought it was lame. It's because we messed up. So tell us again. <laughs> yes. And also, don't forget, we also have a patron, uh, a Patreon that you can join yeah we uh just finished up um our 143rd episode there so let's say you finished up on all of our episodes and you are wanting so many more well you we've got you they're over there they're (laughs) over there we have a two dollar tier and a five dollar tier um all of that we put back into the show um so you can visit us at www.patreon.com backslash we rule. Just kidding. <laughs> it's backslash mystery history podcast. So let's start okay. this. Let's let's start this. You start this. I'm going to start this because this is going to be kind of weird. Off the jump. 
Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about Daniel Perez. So right. heads up. He's the leader of this cult. <laughs> okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but he has several different aliases. And he's also known as Lou Castro. And he was born in November 26, 1959 in Arkansas Pass, Texas. And I probably said that wrong. Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas. Is it, Ar- is it Arkansas? <laughs> no. I, mean- I hate when places do that. When they name cities after states that are not their state. I know Arkansas is close to Texas. Like, you know how Kansas City is in Missouri? Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. So this, this Why? is Arancis Pass, I think, is really how you say it. Um, Texas. Okay. <laughs> so this is the only detail we have about him is his birth date. Wow. So that's, that's the end of the podcast. Rough. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but as far as his early years go, that's this is all we got. So none of his family identities have been confirmed. So nothing can be said for him. He refuses to talk to any of the press about like anything about his early years. So we we have nothing. So nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows. Now, there's some other things that we'll talk about, but that he's a pathological liar. So nobody knows if they are true or false. So take everything we say about his early stuff with a grain of salt. Once we get into the nitty gritty later on, that can be corroborated by other people. So we know that that's legit. This stuff is all just what we think is is happening. So anyway. Okay. even though his real name is Daniel, we are going to call him Lou. The reason why is because there's a couple other Daniels in this story. It'll be hard to kind of keep them apart. And for the bulk of when all of this occurred, he was known as Lou. So we're just going to call him Lou. Okay. Um, so there are some accounts that say that he might have been an airplane mechanic in the Navy. But again, pathological liar. We don't know. And because he has so many different aliases, it's hard to track to to see if if any of this is true. Yeah. Tracking on his past is not easy since he changes his name. So Got I it. just wanted to preface the story with those facts. And now you can get us started on the rest of this business. All right. Well, when he left the Navy, maybe. Maybe. he met a woman named patricia hughes and she knew him as lou castro a few years into their meeting they met another lady named mary but soon after meeting mary patricia and lou left town quickly and based on allegations it was because lou molested mary's 11 year old daughter yeah and i just want to note here that it took me a long time to figure out. I thought that maybe Lou and Patricia had like a romantical situation and they might have, but Patricia was married and her husband also went with them uh, and just followed Lou around. Oh, so he, her husband was like around for this. Correct. Yes. And, And that took me a minute whenever I was doing these notes to be like, 
oh, she's been married the whole time? Like, that's weird. Because I would have assumed they were like a couple together. Yeah. But based on her following not. him. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Later, Lou and Patricia settled in North Dakota and met a girl named Catherine who was 15. Lou told Catherine that he had three different angels living inside him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. And he had supernatural powers. He then began a sexual relationship with Catherine, who was underage and he had no business doing that with, Mm -hmm. but was soon arrested after Catherine's father got suspicious and called the police. Once he got out of jail, though, Lou skipped town again. Yeah. He's like, I'm not in it for this. Maybe if he wasn't so gross. Yeah. What is he doing? (laughs) Right. Lou was a master manipulator and a born con man, obviously, as we've already seen thus far. He never told the same story twice, and he would change his abilities of what he told people he was able to do based on who he was speaking to, what he needed from them, and what he felt that they needed. Right. Mm-hmm. He would sometimes tell people that he could get them into heaven or that he could reincarnate them. Sometimes he said he could predict their death or speak to the dead. Or he even made up that like, hey, he could make it rain. Like not dollar so, bills, but like rain. He was one of these guys that was like the snake oil salesman mm-hmm. or the like preacher that would throw up a tent and yep. S- bring people back from being blind and stuff like that right correct yes that kind of vibe (laughs) that kind of vibe and the only thing that did stay consistent within his story was that he had three angels living within him and their names were arthur daniel and amber okay so arthur was a cruel and unforgiving master and would be blamed for any verbal or physical abuse he would give to any of his followers. So it was all Arthur's fault. Mm -hmm. Daniel was kind and helpful, and he would use Daniel to gain favor with his followers, typically after Arthur abused them. And then Amber, she was the wild card, angel of death. He would use Amber when he wanted to put a follower in their place. He would stop blinking, put on a weird smile, and talk in a monster voice, and threaten them with purgatory. Now, this what? is why this is why he goes after 15-year-olds. Because old people like us would be like, mm, what? That's not going to work for me. So did he have like a multiple personality situation? No. Disorder? Nope. Okay. He was doing, he was making this up. He knew that this was made up to get people to follow him and listen to him and place blame on this Arthur. uh, I cannot believe this worked. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And it did. Lou was able to convince young girls and then whole families in his cult and into his cult. He didn't have some of the bigger insights that other cult leaders have. He wanted two things, and that was to have lots and lots of money, to live a lavish lifestyle, and to have lots and lots of sex, more particularly with young girls. So 
Ugh. Yeah. He would tell these young girls that he needed to have sex with them. Two of his followers were convinced that if they did not have sex with him regularly, his health would decline and that he would die. What a thing to put on a child. Where are their parents? Right there with them, believing all of all of this stuff. Like, I don't know if they knew about necessarily the sex part, but they believed that he had angels inside of his body and like he and could, could do things. things. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-mm-mm. In the 1990s, Lou and his followers moved from Corpus Christi to Wichita. Catherine, who you may remember from before, joined the group. She got jealous of Lou's relationship with a girl named Lindsay, who was nine years old at the time. Lindsay had joined the group with her mother, Moana, and her husband, Jim. I don't, like, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. So get this. So this was in the 1990s when they joined. In 2001, Moana took out a life insurance policy on herself. And a few months later, she, her husband, and the now 13-year-old Lindsay disappeared. Moana's husband, Jim, was a pilot and had taken the family on a flight in their small single-engine plane. Before the end of the year, the plane wreckage was found along with all three bodies inside the cab. Who? So she took a life insurance policy out on herself. Who is the beneficiary? Well, let's just get to that next part. So Lou and Patricia... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Lou and Patricia were constantly calling and visiting the insurance company to cash in on her life insurance. At the time, nobody found it weird, but that's freaking weird. And the life insurance policy was eventually paid out to Patricia, which really meant it was paid out to Lou, which really meant it was paid out to Angel Angel's Landing. So she listed... Patricia as the beneficiary to get the life insurance policy. So they killed her. They Yes. And her whole family. Her whole family. By causing an airplane wreck? Yes. This was the first deadly financial scam created by Lou. Summer 2001, Angel's Landing moved to a group of townhouses in Wichita after a short stay in Arizona. Patricia took out a $1.2 million life insurance policy that included an accidental death written in. Her husband, Brian, was the beneficiary, while Catherine, while Catherine was the co-beneficiary. Uh-huh. Weird. That is weird. They then used the money provided by Moana's life insurance policy to purchase three homes side by side in Sedgwick County, Kansas, and it turned into a large compound. Yeah. So they have started their own little call out here. But if you collected, because she's the one that collected on Moana's life insurance. I'm not doing any insurance policies on myself if that's where you're going with that. Because that's like a guaranteed death. And $1.2 million? No. No way. Absolutely not. 
No way. And then why would Catherine be a co-beneficiary? That's so weird. It's, yeah, why? It doesn't make sense. In 2002, the group was thriving. They threw parties and barbecues and they played loud music and had several barns filled with cars. Lou even had a garage filled with model airplanes. So in one podcast that I was listening to, I guess he was really big into like vanity plates and Mm -hmm. he had angel um, angels one through eight. Like he had eight really expensive cars and he had vanity plates on every single one of them. So like he was living the dream with all of this insurance money. How many people were a part of this? No idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean enough for what a couple of townhouses. So like I'd say 20 maybe. Yeah. With the kids and everything like that. Maybe 20. 25. And we and we don't know how much the insurance policy from Moana they got, like how much no. money they got. But he, uh, but know. it was enough for him to buy townhouses and a bunch of cars. Correct. And a lot of the people, aside from Patricia, I think Patricia is the only one that really knew about Moana's death and the life insurance policy and things is her like name that. moana or mona i i think it's mo it's spelled o m o a n a okay so it could be either one all right but but i think the group did not know about her death essentially and that they collected the insurance money on it so huh. that's important that's important to kind of note um A woman named Jennifer joined the group and brought along her two daughters, Sarah and Emily. Sarah was 17 and Emily was 10. Both were taken and groomed by Lou. They were abused by him for nearly a decade. It was around that time that Angel's Landing caught the eye of our good friend, Ron Goodwin, who was an undercover narcotics agent. He was concerned with Lou's wealth that he openly bragged about. He started observing the compound from afar because he had no solid leads to like obtain a search warrant or do anything, but something was super fishy and he would have these lavish parties. He liked to flaunt everything, but he never, he never really said what he was doing to get this money, but he liked to brag like how awesome he was. And he bragged, did, I know you don't know the answer to this, but how did the narcotics agent end up hearing about him? Like, did they, were they running around in the same circle? Was he out at a bar, like talking about how rich he is? Like, how did that happen? I don't know. I think the fact that he had so much money kind of sparked the narcotics part of his brain. I don't know exactly how he found out about it. But I think that he, Ron Goodwin, thought that it could be like a narcotics issue where they were selling drugs or something like that uh, okay. because they have the compound and everything like that, which seemed fishy. Yeah, you're So right. that's where it kind of sparked. And then it's just kind of going to continue from there. Got you. June 23rd, 2003, Patricia Hughes dies. What? Yeah, shocker. A member of the commune calls 911 and said they had found Hughes floating face down in the compound's pool. 
Blunt force trauma was found at the back of Patricia's head, and it was known that she didn't know how to swim. Authorities believed she fell, struck her head, and drowned when she couldn't save herself. What a freaking joke. Right. Like, really? No investigation? Like, that's just open and shut? How do you fall and hit the back of your... So, well, I mean, I know how you fall and hit the back of your head. But you know what I mean? And then into a pool? Yeah. Like, that's that's weird. The worst luck ever. How would you fall into the pool after you fell and hit your head? The police maybe on your out. way into the pool, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe That's you weird. fell outside the pool, cracked your head on the side, and then rolled in. Maybe I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I guess I could see if you like stepped into a pool, not realizing it was there or something, and like hit your head on the. Mm-hmm. like ground as your rest of your body's like already in the pool maybe yeah. but i don't get that that like how can you look at that and think oh that looks like an accident mm-hmm. come on now <laughs> they collected on patricia's insurance policy and continued to live this lavish lifestyle that they had now In an interview with Emily, she noted before Patricia's death, they had three Corvettes and everyone else in the group had SUVs. After Patricia's death, the cars got even more extravagant and everyone had the car dealership's owner's personal cell phone number. That's nuts. Why are they so obsessed with cars? I don't know. He liked them. It's not where I would be spending my money. (laughs) And that would look fishy to me, right? Like, if somebody died and you're buying up all of these... Co- like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. He's drawing an awful lot of attention to himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, they... So, Detective Goodwin learned about the airplane crash that had killed Moana and her family. And his spidey senses were tingling. He was struggling to find any details of exactly what was wrong, but something was wrong here. Yes. After the death of Patricia, a lot of people started to side-eye Lou, including his own members. Like, something is strange. In 2007, at 2 a.m., Sarah woke up her sister Emily and told her to go get dressed because they needed to go to the pool house to meet Lou, who was very angry. So this next part is graphic um so if you do not want to listen to it just skip ahead just a few seconds and then it'll be over um when they got to the pool house they saw lou and Catherine, because Catherine's always around who stood back while he grabbed sarah and emily by the throat he demanded all three women undress and pointed a gun at them and fired it at the ground he made them all go to his bedroom where he made Catherine watch as he raped Sarah and Emily with a beer bottle. He then forced Catherine to drink from that bottle and made her leave while he continued with Emily and Sarah. Oh, no. And after it was over, Lou pulled Angel Daniel out of his hat and blamed his terrible crime on the angel Arthur was the reason why this took place. Blamed them to who? Just to the people that he assaulted? You're right. Like, that was the reason why he he did that. Wow. Before this sexual assault occurred, Lou had gotten engaged to a girl named Morgan. 
Many of Patricia's family members had started taking out life insurance policies and other members had started attempting to get credit cards, lying about their income to get higher limits. Yeah. The use of these cards were being monitored by Detective Goodwin, who was able to track their movements. So he obviously had enough on them to start surveilling or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He stayed, he started questioning locals about the compound. Goodwin knew that Lou was telling members how much money to withdraw from their credit cards and that Lou lied to anyone about where his money came from. He told some people that he had gotten the money by selling cattle for the government and others that he had played a lucky hand in Vegas. How lucky of a hand would you need right, to finance something like this? Like, obviously not. Goodwin still didn't have enough evidence to launch a formal investigation. How was he able to track, like, monitor their credit card stuff if he wasn't, if he hadn't launched a formal investigation? I don't know. I don't know if he had some sort of database that he could track that kind of stuff under the radar. I feel like that would be illegal, right? I don't know. People tell us if you know anything about this. And worse yet, he was pulled away on another narcotics case, which meant his time investigating Angel's Landing was then limited. When he was on the new task force, he befriended an agent who had helped bring down the BTK killer. He told the agent everything he knew about Lou, and the agent gave him advice on what he should do. Goodwin continued to build his case, so he was watching still. Yeah, he was burning the candle at both ends. So he was doing his full-time job and then also doing this on the side. Like, Thank goodness. Thank goodness he cared. Right. I'm I'm assuming. I'm assuming this is going to wrap around. <laughs> yeah. Emily and Sarah found out about the plane crash that had happened with Moana and her family, but the two were both very much under Lou's spell. Emily was only 10 years old when she had been brought into the cult, so she was really deep into believing everything that he had said. Yeah. Lou Lou started to befriend locals and the local government. He donated $19,000 to the police force for purchase of a new vehicle for them. All he asked in return was for a small sticker to be placed on the bumper in memory of Patricia. Ew. Blood money. He's awful. Most of the cops in town would now come to lose parties, and he was viewed in a good light by the community. So he tried to turn that around real quick whenever people were side-eyeing him about this Patricia business. And he was able to, it sounds like, pretty freaking easily. So listen to this. (laughs) Okay, I'm listening. Brian Hughes, which was the husband of Patricia, died in 2006. The cause was listed as an automobile accident. Brian was a mechanic and he was working on a car in South Dakota. Somehow the jack that had been holding the car had been kicked loose and pinned Brian underneath it, crushing him to death. This was ruled as accidental, but it seemed very suspicious to most in the group who knew how skilled Brian was as a mechanic. This seemed like something he would never have done. Brian had made a call to Lou and had asked to speak to his daughter and told her goodbye right before he died. Huh. Hmm. So weeks prior... And leading up to his death, 
Lou had been in Brian's ear telling him that killing himself to help the cult was a good thing. No. While Lou had not physically kicked the jack, he had talked Brian into killing himself so they could collect the insurance money. The payout was $700,000 and was collected by another member that immediately went back into the group. So these people were such under the spell that they were willing to leave behind their children to for the benefit of the group according to Lou. Lou. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm. That is so awful. Two years later, the money started drying up again and Lou set his sights on Jennifer, Sarah and Emily's mother, telling her it was her time to die. He pressured her for weeks, like Brian telling her that her death would help the group. Reported by witnesses, while Jennifer's car was moving at high speeds, her car swerved almost intentionally, dang it, into a gravel truck, killing her instantly. Nuts. This is nuts. I can't believe this is happening. I I cannot believe this. (laughs) When Lou got the news that Jennifer was dead, he called Sarah's school and told her over the phone, who does that? Who does that? Who, who that is really does shocking. that? Yes. That's awful. She screamed at Lou, what did you do to my mom? Which is a very valid question. <laughs> and, and all she was surrounded with was, was like school administrators. She was yeah. by herself at school. Like you don't, Cops don't even do that. Tell people over the phone that somebody dies. Like you talk to them in person. Like, yeah, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. In 2009, Detective Goodwin approached the compound with another officer after finishing his task force work that he had worked on prior that pulled him away. He told Lou he was investigating a robbery and handed him a few photos asking if he recognized anyone. Now, Detective Goodwin, he's crafty, okay? What he was really wanting was for Lou to grab these photos so he could get his fingerprints on them and then lift the fingerprints and see if he could run it through the database and get any hits. But Lou, I don't know if he was privy to what was going on or if this is just he had you know he was a con man so he was just used to this Lou only used his palms to touch the photos and he used his fingernail to like pick the photo up off the coffee table so he was a good one was not able to get a print from these photographs how do you even how do you do that I don't know I mean, but- <laughs> I feel like you would look weird, am I right? You look weird, but that is super smart. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're doing illegal stuff, uh-huh. I guess that's a good way. Like you would have to be aware of those kind of things. Somebody could be sneaking your fingerprints. I guess. Huh. Wild. Yeah. Sarah began dating a guy named Daniel who had plans to become a police officer. When Sarah started bringing him around, Daniel noticed some weird things at the compound and about Lou. Because it's all freaking weird. Yeah. And I'm like thinking like Sarah didn't tell this guy that Lou 
was like you know having relations with her not yet no and and i think for sarah you know she was younger and she just probably thought that this was normal maybe yeah when she said what did you do to my mom but then she was still she's still under like his care basically yeah yeah because who i mean yeah i think he's still got his hooks in her at this point all right. So her boyfriend, Daniel, he saw how Lou was standoffish and overprotective of the girls on the compound. He also noticed how he would touch them inappropri- inappropriately and have them sit on his lap. He started keeping an eye on things and started gathering evidence of his own. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that something weird is going on. Do you imagine being like a teen, like a high teenage age or like in your early 20s and having to sit on somebody's lap that's like a like practically if considered a family member like how awkward and weird would that be for everybody around right (laughs) lou felt the pressure building from daniel and goodwin and decided to pick up his coal and move to columbia tennessee in 2009 and start a new identity joe venegas is that right venegas Yeah. Joe Gaz. Sarah, who had just married Daniel, decided to stay behind. Good for her. <laughs> Good for her. And now she's got like a sane person in her corner at this point. <laughs> like, yeah. Thank God. With all the charges, changes taking place, Sarah broke down and told her new husband about all the things that have happened to her on the compound and the abuse of Lou. Daniel. That's what I thought. She knew that that stuff shouldn't have been going on. <laughs> right. And I mean, how heavy would that be? They're they're mm-hmm. they're newly married. Like, oh, that would yeah, be by so the way. hard to tell somebody. Yeah, I mean, that would be hard to tell anybody. But it just but so especially- happens yeah. he's becoming a police officer. So, I mean, he's really kind of the perfect person for this to be able to take it up the chain and like get something done about it. So he immediately sends an email to the FBI. Like, I don't even know how to email the FBI. What's the FBI's email address? Probably <laughs> FBI at gov.com. I, I don't know. <laughs> if I had to take a stab at it, that's what I would go with. But yeah, he was like, screw this guy. We're we're taking it to the top dogs here. Yeah. So you best believe that RBFF Detective Goodwin was all over that. And interviewed Daniel to learn all that he could about the Angels Landing cult. Daniel told him where the compound moved, Lou's new identity, and that Lou had just taken out a life insurance policy on his brand new daughter, fresh out the womb, named Alice. No, he did not. So now it's not even other people. He's like going to pick off his own flesh and blood now. What the hell? Um, Daniel. Daniel, good job. Good job, Daniel. You saved a freaking baby. Ugh. April 21st, 2010, Daniel Perez, a.k.a. Lou Castro, a.k.a. Joe Venegas, was arrested for identity fraud. Fake documents were found in his house, which helped move the case forward. Lou and the girls were interrogated. Sarah, who had already confessed to her husband reverted back to old ways and clammed up dang it dang Mm. it dang it dang it that would be 
I, I mean, I feel it. That would be so hard. Oh yeah. But then as her husband, isn't Daniel like, come on, Sarah. (laughs) That would be really frustrating because on the outside looking in, you'd be like, why are you protecting this piece of shit? Yeah. He killed your freaking mother. Like, what are you doing? That would definitely put a strain on a relationship. Lou said almost nothing and was housed in prison for two years under the name John Doe. Because they don't know what his name is. He he had 24 months to figure out who Lou was. After hoaxing his real name out of one of the girls, he discovered Lou was said to have died many years ago and had been using a false identity for 25 years. So Lou Castro was a false identity that he picked up 25 years. Dang. And that's why we don't know anything about him. That's a long time, so... That is a long time. So Emily went to visit Lou after not seeing him for two years when he was in prison. She had been brainwashed again, like we talked about earlier, about believing that he needed to have sex with her to keep him alive. And after sitting across from him, seeing him healthy as a clam, Mm -hmm. it all made sense to her. Lou was not an angel. He was a con artist, a rapist, and a murderer. Emily then decided she wanted to tell the police everything she knew. Shortly after, Patricia Hughes' death was reclassified as a homicide. Thank God. Yeah, as it should have been in the first place. Lou was charged with one count of first-degree murder, 10 counts of rape, 10 counts of aggravated criminal sodomy, 3 counts of aggravated assault, 11 counts of false information, and 1 count of criminal threat. His trial started in 2012, and his defense tried to show him as a man well-liked by his community. Who cares? Right. (laughs) He wasn't well-liked by Patricia after he freaking murdered her or all the other people. Yeah, being liked by all your friends isn't enough to get you out of all the the bad things you've done, sir. They also tried to paint the women as the real masterminds that they called the shots and just wanted to use Lou for his money. So he tried to turn this around on these women that he manipulated. And raped for years. What a piece of shit. Um, Emily and Sarah testified against him, including the night that both of them heard a scream, a splash, and saw Lou come back in the house with wet clothes after he murdered Patricia. So they saw the whole thing whenever he murdered Patricia, and he spun it around like nothing happened, and they just kind of put it out of their mind and believed everything that he said. But they saw the whole freaking thing. Wow. So Lou took the stand and rambled on for four hours. He, okay. He claimed that he had memory loss from a brain injury in his past and that Patricia is the one who ran Angel's Landing. He also said that this is insanity, that it was impossible for him to rape women because he had a significant scar tissue damage on his penis due to an injury in his youth. So what he's saying here is that he could have sex just fine, but rape, the scar tissue stopped any rape from happening. (laughs) What the fuck? What? (laughs) That's not how it works, bro. 
That is not how it works. February 2015, Lou was convicted of every single account, which was a lot of counts that I read off up there. So he was convicted of every single one after three hours of deliberation by the jury. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 406 months for other charges. He will spend eight years in prison before he's even eligible for parole. And at that time, he will be 130 years old. So good luck. So so that's not going to (laughs) happen. He is currently housed in Lansing Correctional, where he will be for a long time. Right. So wowzers. I just, I don't know. I've never, this is so different, I feel like, than most of the cults that we've talked about. Because I do feel like for most of the cults, there is some underlying belief from the cult leader that they are higher than everybody else that there is some sort of godlike thing in their body they really believe to a certain degree that they have that in them and right that is not the case he knew that there is no higher being here he doesn't have three angels in his body he used all of this just to manipulate people for sex and money that is it that is the end of the story he's a greedy son of a bitch and that's all this was about and you have like, like, where did this guy come from? <laughs> Nobody knows. To be able to start just doing this, like he had, I mean, wow. I'm very yeah. curious in his background now. Like what, what? <laughs> and we'll never know because he refuses to talk to anybody about it. So we'll, we'll right. never know anything more than what we have right now. And that's why this was so difficult to try to research because usually we talk about their early life. Why are they this way? What right? You get some occurred? sort of inkling in their childhood to how this like all happened, but yeah, there's just nothing. He's such a nothing con at man. all. And you, what? How like manipulative do you have to be to be able to convince people to kill themselves? Right. When they have family and like things to live for. Yes. All for money. Also, he could get another car. (sighs) Like that is so despicable because at least the other cult leaders are crazy. Like he's not crazy. He's just greedy. Like I almost feel like that's worse. He's lazy. And (laughs) And go get a job. (laughs) Right. So Man. this one is just, it is, it is a crazy tale. Um, there were a lot of victims in this story and a lot of people that di- like more people died than I expected. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. And, and you would think at some point, and I don't know if it's because they had different beneficiaries. It wasn't like all coming to Lou, you know, so it was more harder to track. Yeah, you it. wouldn't you wouldn't be able to track that. Those people weren't they weren't relatives. Mm-hmm. They probably used separate addresses, even if they were like neighbors. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like you just wouldn't. There's no way to track what they did. So he did it, but in a smart way. But I don't isn't know. it like? strange though that i would think people taking those kinds of life insurance policies out on themselves 
for the that such high amounts of money would be like suspicious, right? Well, and the fact that they didn't have it for that long, you know, like they took it out and then a year later they're dead. That's yeah. Weird. And like, what did they do? Don't, I, you know, I should probably know more about life insurance policies, but like, wouldn't that be a very expensive policy if, I don't know, is a million a lot of money? I feel like a million is a good chunk of change. I mean, I feel like that's a ton of money for an insurance policies. Yeah. Sob where you're making a ton of money. Right. Wouldn't that raise suspicion? I would think it would. I, I would think so too. And I would think that that premium would be very expensive. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. How did they even afford that for however long they were like carrying the and insurance? I would assume that these people, I wish that there was more details about like how many people, what they did, if they had jobs. I'm assuming they all had jobs and they just cashed everything over to him in the compound, you mm -hmm. know, for the greater good. Because if they had people willing to kill themselves, I'm sure they were willing to work. They were taking their money. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just this is what a wild, what a wild story. It is. But these are these wild. are important because, you know, you want to blame it on, well, you know, he targeted a lot of young girls and yeah, he did. But a lot of their families went right along with it. So yep. don't believe anything anybody tells you ever. I mean, well, and also <laughs> watch out. none of the stuff that he was selling was believable. No, first of all <laughs> so there's that but like yeah i mean watch out for people i guess is like the moral of the story there because who would get sucked into that i always think that like mm -hmm. with these cults i'm like how how do they get these people and i understand a lot of times they don't have like families or they do have families that are in the cult but like geez this guy's yeah. like i got angels in my body Mm -hmm. and come listen to what i gotta say and people were like okay <laughs> well if somebody tells me that they can make it rain i'm gonna be like make it rain right make now, it rain you're bullshitting me right and then if it rains i'm gonna be like it probably just rained <laughs> it just had to rain <laughs> yeah it just so happened we'll wait for it to stop and then you'll make it rain again and then maybe we'll talk <laughs> i need mm -hmm. more than one rain situation yes absolutely anyway, so my sources for this i went to grunge.com heavy.com mirror.co.uk the sun.com dailymail.com and then i watched um there are a couple documentaries out there one was um on oxygen with the deadly cults they had an episode but i wasn't able to watch it because i don't have oxygen uh but i did find a really awesome youtube video um, uh, it's called a uh, history of cults, angels landing by dead Kennedy in space, which I really like that name. That's a good name. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a really, that had the most information, all this other stuff, all the other websites were more so about like what happened to him after he got caught. Um, yeah. and, and this YouTube channel really kind of did the whole timeline, which is really what I'm looking for. Right. Um, yeah. And then I did listen to a podcast, True Crime, Campfire, Demon in Disguise, The Cult at Angel's Landing. So that, my friends, is that. Is that.
Well, very nice. We, we hope you enjoyed episode 155 on Angels Landing Cult. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>